This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. We're starting a brand new series today about King David. Now, um, we're going to spend the next few weeks just talking about David and looking into the Old Testament. And as we study the Old Testament, it's very important for us to know uh, what the New Testament says about the Old Testament and how we should interpret um, what we read in the Old Testament and how all of the, the story of the Old Testament is moving us towards understanding about Jesus. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn and read over there or on your device your Bible app. It's a shortcut in our church app to the Bible app. You don't have that. If you don't have a paper Bible or a phone Bible, bring one next week. Get your phone, your smartphone hooked up or bring a Bible with you so you can look along the scriptures with me, even though they are going to be on the screen. I'm really happy to be back. Anyway, all right, First Corinthians 10, verse 9. It says this, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them died and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them, talking about people in the Old Testament, uh, mentioning specifically the children of Israel, to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So it says that they're, the, as we look at the Old Testament stories, they're written for an example to us. And part of that example is some things to do and then some things not to do. And that's actually one of the, the best things about the Hebrew Scriptures as we look at the Old Testament, that the imperfections written about regarding the people of the Old Testament is a help to us. And one of the things that helps us to understand that we as humans, we can never complete the law of God in our own flesh. That we can never achieve salvation by completing all of the commandments. It's just impossible to do. And as we look in the Old Testament, what we identify with, we'll identify with their successes and their victories, but we will also identify with their humanity. So as we look at someone else's humanity, what we can say is, hey, there's some things to do and then there's some things to stay away from, some mistakes they made, some stuff. And that's why it's written. The mistakes are written so that we won't repeat those mistakes. And they're written down for our instruction, an example and an instruction. So as we read through the Old Testament, we can get life instructions, how to live our lives, how to follow God, how to have a heart towards God. Second Timothy chapter three, it says this, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings. Now, the book of 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul as a letter to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, and he is of Jewish descent, and so he's teaching him. He's he's showing him what you know about God, you know from the scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament. He says, and and now from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about what we would know as the Old Testament, because the New Testament hadn't been compiled yet, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
in Christ Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what does it teach us about? It teaches us for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That as we look in the Old Testament, that we can be trained, that our thinking can be trained, that we can understand some things, once again, about what it looks like to have a relationship with God, and then at what it looks like when somebody messes up so that we can avoid those uh, potholes in our lives. But verse, verse 15 says something very important. He talks about the writings in the scripture, which you are able to make wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So as we look at David and spend uh, uh, so many weeks here talking about David, we're not talking about David so we can have faith in David. We're not looking at David so that we will repeat David, David's mistakes because he made a bunch of mistakes. We're not looking at, at David for David's sake, but G- David is a type of Christ. And Jesus is the antitype, or Jesus is the fulfillment of what we see in David's humanity, that David was the second king of Israel, and that Jesus came and he was going to be a king. Now, he wasn't going to be the king of Israel with borders and, and, and a nation like we would think about, that he came to be part, invite us into the kingdom of God, not just someone that has a king or someone that has a president, that it crosses borders and it crosses nationalities, that he would be the king of kings. So we don't look at David for faith in David. We look at David so that we can have greater faith in Christ and realize that salvation only comes through Jesus. So a bunch of lessons that we can look at as we study uh, through David over the next many weeks, we can, there's a lot of lessons in leadership. And if you have any leadership capacity in the life uh, that you have right now, whether it's in the home or on the job or in your neighborhood, and the reality is that all of us, all of us have been entrusted with leadership in the generation that we live in. That God has, as, as parents, as, as teenagers as uh, workers and co-workers and, and as bosses and presidents and whatever position that you hold and whatever capacity you serve in in your neighborhood, God wants his followers to be leaders. In other words, a person of influence. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a title. It doesn't necessarily mean that anyone's ever going to call you a president one day or a vice president, and you don't actually have to have a title to be a good leader. Leadership is all about influence, all, all about being an influence. And God has called all of us to be a leader. Now, anytime that we do any leadership teaching, it's very easy to think about a leader that you might have, whether it's me or whether it's a boss that you would have at work or our prime minister, or our premier. And when we look through leadership teaching, it's very easy to see uh, the leadership mistakes of other leaders. I know when I started um, doing some leadership reading and my, my dad was still the pastor, uh, it was so obvious for me all of the stuff that he was doing wrong. It just became so clear all his uh, problems as a leader. Now, we're not going to study leadership so that we could figure out everybody else's leadership issues. We're going to look at leadership so that we can look at ourselves and to see how effective we are as a leader. Because if we just look, if we just read about leadership just to be able to critique our, our prime minister and our premier and our boss, it's kind of a waste of time because, you know, critics are a dime of dozen. And if you're just a critic, you're not actually accomplishing anything. You're just criticizing what other people are doing. 
that we want to examine our own leadership as we look at the life of David. David, we can learn about friendship. We can learn about loyalty. We can learn about the heart, how important the heart is for people and for ourselves and our own lives. We can look at disappointment. David had some uh, very real disappointing time in his, in, in his life. He had tremendous opportunity. David faced opposition. David was a worshiper, and David also had a family. And so all of these things that we can look at and we can uh, learn and understand from the life of David. Okay, let's read a verse here in Acts chapter 13, uh, commenting about David. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And this verse is for all of us today. It says about David, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. So what did David do? He served the purpose of God in his own generation. You were born at the right time. Sometimes we might look at certain times in history or we might, you know, look at a renaissance, a time or certain times in the past or certain things that we really like, maybe a time of music or a time of style or a time of government. And we might think, oh man, I was born in the wrong century. I was born in the wrong decade. I should have born in this, been born in this decade. No, God had you born at the right time. And God has appropriately gifted you for this time, for the time that you live. But we want to be like David, that he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And we have an opportunity in our own generation to serve the purposes of God. The the purposes of God, oh, I wish I was David and I, if I was David and I could have faced Goliath and the Philistines and I could have, uh, you know, defeated Goliath and then that would have been really amazing. No, that was for David to do. David served the purpose of God in his own generation. That's the same call that we have. That we, that God wants us to serve his purposes in our generation in this time. That the purposes of God are equally important. And I would say they get more and more important as each generation passes. To, to raise up a generation and to be the generation that will serve the purposes of God in their generation. So it's not just about attending church services. It's just not about singing our favorite songs and hearing our, our favorite sermons. It is about doing the thing that David did. The, the thing that makes David famous. That he is commended as the greatest king in Israel's history. And that Jesus identifies with David. And as we think about David, he's kind of sort of the, the glory time of Israel past. As we look at the New Testament. That he was the greatest king in Israel's history. And they would talk about, oh, we're looking for the son of David. We're looking for that time to come back. But what was great about David is that he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And that needs to be true of all of us. Acts chapter 13 verse 22. And when he had removed him. He raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified and said. I have found in David. The son of Jesse. A man after my heart. Who will do my will. So that's two things that we see. That David is mentioned about. In the New Testament. Served the purpose of God. In his own generation. And then we know this phrase that David was a man after God's own heart. After God's heart. 
Not just after the laws of God, but after the heart of God. That he willed to do the will of God. To see the heart of what God wants. To see the heart of what God's purposes are for my life. David wanted the heart of God. That he sought after the heart of God. Even when he had messed up and made a bunch of mistakes. And this is one of the things that we will see about David when he made mistakes. He didn't run from God. He ran to God. And he wanted to get forgiveness. And he wanted to get his heart right with God. And this needs to be true of us as we look at David. In the Gospels, we see these terms, son of David. We see <clears throat> when, um, Dave, when Jesus was coming to, you know, coming to Jerusalem, he was coming, and they, on, on what we call Palm Sunday, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. When they would call out to Jesus, when six people would call out to Jesus, they would say, have mercy on me, son of David. Bethlehem is the city of David. And they would say, um, they would see Jesus do things and they would be amazed. And they'd say, can this be the son of David? And in the book of Revelation, uh, by vision, Jesus is saying <clears throat> that he was of the root of David, the bright and morning star. So Jesus is heavily associated with David. So it would behoove us to go back and study and learn about David's life. And so shall we get started? That was all introduction. So we're just actually getting started right now. Um, now, before the time of the kings, David was the second king. The first king of Israel was Saul. And before the time of the kings, uh, the children of Israel, they were operated as a theocracy. In other words, they had prophets and they had judges that would rule over them as a people. But they really saw God as their king, that they didn't have a physical king. They didn't have a monarchy like other nations, that they really just saw God as their king. And then these prophets and judges were just kind of representatives of God. And, you know, they would help them interpret the law and they would sort of um, help them judge the scripture. If there was a dispute, how do we apply this principle from the law? And the judge or the prophet would help them to do that. And the prophets would serve other purposes also. <clears throat> but that's how Israel operated. And then um, as that time of, um, you know, at the end of the time of judges and the prophets, there was a prophet who, who set up Saul and he set up David. And his name was Samuel. And Samuel's uh, sons weren't following after him and they weren't going to sort of take over as the next prophets of God. And so the children of Israel, they wanted to king. They wanted to be like everybody else, so to speak. And they were sort of tired of not having a king, not having a monarchy like other nations. And so we can read about this here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 8, verse 4. It says this, that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. We just want to be like everybody else, Samuel. We don't want to, we don't want to be led by prophets and judges anymore. We just want to have a king. We want to have a monarchy like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done from this day, I brought them up out of Egypt to this, to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now then, listen to this, verse 9. Now then, obey 
their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Now that's interesting. God didn't want them to have a king. But he said to them, okay, go ahead and give them a king. It wasn't God's best for Israel to have a king, to have a monarchy. But this is what, here's the will of the people. And they were just sort of, they were a little bit, and they just wanted to be like every other country. And he said, and then God said to Samuel, okay, warn them, warn them that it's going to be hard and explain to them about taxes and how kings do taxes like this and they'll tax you for this and tax you in times never change. And they'll tax you like this and they'll tax you like this. And so they, he warned them ahead of time. So God was saying, okay, go ahead and give them a king, even though it isn't my perfect will. Go ahead and give them a king. Now, this is something you can discuss at lunch. When we think about the will of God, in in Romans chapter 12, it talks about the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That in our lives, and I'm sure that you could say this is true, we don't always choose the best path, do we? Can I get an amen from any imperfect person in the room? All the rest of you perfect people. You don't even need to be at church this morning. We don't always choose the perfect will of God in our lives. And how do we know that? Well, we know sometimes we choose sin. And then there's repercussions when we choose sin. We all are aware of this. It's not new information for us. But here, the children of Israel are choosing something that isn't actually the will of God. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to give them a kim. Warn them, though, that it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. And God still partners with Israel, still helps them to the measure that he, can, that he can with these kings. And as we look through, you know, the kings of Israel and the history of that, they had a bad king and then they had a good king and then they had a bad king and a good king and it went back and forth. And then sometimes good kings became bad kings and then all of the stuff that God had warned them about actually happened. But God was still partnering with these imperfect people, which is good news for us. That sometimes we are going to make wrong choices and that we are going to take the wrong path. But God is not done with us. God is not over us. I'm done with you. God still wants you to serve his purpose in this generation. But this wasn't the perfect will of God for Israel. But God said to them, okay, here. Here's a king. And I'm actually going to help you choose a king. Tremendous discussion to have at lunch, all right? First Samuel chapter 16. I just, I'm just going to expand on that file a little bit. Elections. There's a lot of Christians that make a lot of comments about elections. And they, you know, well, this is God's candidate and this is God's candidate. <clears throat> Do you know whose God's candidate is? It's, his name is Jesus. There is no perfect politician, and I'm sorry to rain on anybody's parade, but there is no political party that exists on this planet that is the Christian party. I'm just telling you, it doesn't exist. Now, you might get mad at me, and you might want to argue, and we can argue later. But there is no Christian party.
all leaders, all human leaders are imperfect. All of them, regardless of their political ideology. And that's why mankind needs a savior. Do you understand this? This is why we need Jesus. The gospel is the thing that solves all things, not politics. Politics is politics. Here, here's a news flash for what's going to happen in politics. A political party will get in and everybody will like, yeah, well, not everybody, about 54% will be like, yeah, we love this guy. He's going to save us. Or this girl, she's going to save us. And then four to eight years later, we hate them. They're the worst. And then we'll vote in the utter political persuasion. And about 54 to 60% will vote them in. And we're like, oh, we love them. They're going to save our nation with their economic policy and with their foreign policy. We love them. And about four to eight years later, we hate them. Don't put your faith in politics. All that to say doesn't mean you shouldn't get involved with politics. But don't pretend that there's like a Christian party out there. There isn't. We can argue later. All right. <clears throat> pray. That's the thing that we have. We should vote and we should pray. This is what our leaders need. They need God's help. Especially if they're on the other side of the political aisle from us. They especially need God's help. You know, the, the political person that we support don't need God's help quite as much. See? All right, you can have that conversation too at lunch, all right? So where are we? See, I've had like a month worth of stuff, right? Building up on the inside of me. <laughs> I don't even know where I am in my notes here. Okay. First Samuel 8. So he said, give them a king. Warn them, no. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. The story continues in verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. So they didn't listen to all the warnings. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us. No, we want this. Even though this isn't God's will for me, this isn't the best thing for me, I am going to do it. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations. We don't want to be different. We just want to be like everybody else. So much stuff in my heart. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. So now they're going to go through the selection process of selecting king. Saul gets chosen as the first king of Israel, head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And he's a good looking guy. And he's, he's a good king for a little while, but then he kind of has some heart issues. He kind of makes some bad choices. And you can read about all of this uh, from from this point on in the scripture. And now we're going to pick up now. So Saul has reject, Saul has been rejected as the king. God's like, no, no, you know, I'm, I'm done here with Saul being the king. And Samuel, I need, to pick, I need you to pick another king. So um, 
we, we pick up the story here in First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Saul is going to pick a replacement. Sorry, Samuel is going to pick a replacement for Saul. First Samuel 16, verse 1 says this, And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Now, I know this is one of the things that um, I really learned from my mom. My mom talked a lot about this in different scenarios in our life growing up. Um, Growing up in my father's house was amazing and fantastic, and he was a great father. But everywhere he went as a pastor, I I got a lot of stories about this, but everywhere he went as a pastor, it was kind of like Bible times. A lot of people loved him, and then a lot of people hated him. And then he would make a bunch of changes, and some people were like, yeah, for the, this is like politics almost. Yeah, for the changes. And then uh, some people were like, no, we don't want to change anything. We want to keep everybody, everything the same, which is like church world to a T. Um, and then we see here this mention um, that God says about Saul. And my mom talked a lot about this in the different seasons of life that my parents went through. Because any season in life that you go through, you have victories and, and tremendous successes, Right? And there's some great things that happen. But then there's also um, some disappointments and some things that don't go well. And then life, you know, you operate in seasons and you're, you know, you're uh, a child and you're in school and you go to school. And then you, you, you know, you have relationship things that go on. And then you either get married, you don't get married. And then you have kids or you don't have kids. And, and you have seasons of life with your careers and all these different things. And, you know, the scripture talks about in Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season. So life has seasons and, and different ages and different things you experience. And, you know, we're, we experience this with our children as our children are growing up, that um, each day with our eldest daughter, we have never parented somebody this age. And so it's brand new every day. And it's a, an adventure, let me tell you that we don't know how to parent that day she wakes up we don't actually know how to parent somebody that age it's a brand new experience for us and they change and they grow and the seasons of life change and sometimes as life changes season changes and we can like we see in the new testament sort of this longing oh is this the son of david the glory time of when david was alive that they thought Jesus was going to be like David, that he was going to be a king with borders and with an army, that it was going to go back the way that it used to be. And here's a news flash for you. It's never going back. It's never going back to how it used to be. Never, ever, ever. My children are aging forward. They're not aging backward. And you can't just love toddlers and hate teenagers. Because they're going forward in age. Oh, I just love them. When you know you could lay them on the bed and you could go have a shower and you could come back and they'd be in the exact same spot. They wouldn't roll. They wouldn't get into mischief. I I just wish they would stay babies. They're not staying babies. Nothing is staying the same. And if we live life like this, if we live life longing for the past, oh, I wish it would be like this. 
I wish my kids had to stay this age. I wish I used to, I wish I had the job that I used to have. I, I wish, uh, I wish my business was like it used to be when interest rates were like this and my customers were like this. And I just wish our church would just stay in one service. And I, I, I liked it back when Pastor Brent didn't talk about politics. I liked it when, when, when Pastor Brent was in his 30s. He was so much better of a preacher. Or, there's not many of you left, but I just wish we'd go back to Dr. Coulter being pastor. I'm telling you, he's got no interest in it. I'm just telling you. It's not going back. He's not, he's not like, hey, I'm going to take over again. He's like, He's not into pastoring anymore. Pastoring a church. He still is a preacher. Don't take me wrong here, okay? He could still, he's still my favorite preacher. He's still, to me, one of the best preachers in Canada, as you heard the last two weeks. But as far as pastoring a church where you have to make decisions and choices and manage staff and blah, 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 and volunteers, he, he's like, he wants to take his grandchildren for ice cream. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what he wants to do <laughs> with his life. But see, everything is like this. Everything is like this. And, and God said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? How long are you going to grieve about the past? How long are we going to wish that it used to be, that it, maybe it'll be like it used to be? How long are you just going to stay? Now, I'm not talking about grieving for people who have passed away. That's not what we're talking about here. Saul is still alive. He's not a good king anymore. Samuel was bothered by this. But he was a good king, but now he's gone bad. And Samuel is kind of just wishing for the good old days. Listen, you can get stuck in your present, wishing for the past. It's not coming back. It's not going to be how it used to be. It is going to be different. But we know, what we know about God is that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the whole thing. And see, we keep ourselves in this weird funk. We keep ourselves in this weird place. If we just grieve for the past, I just, oh, I want it to be like this, and I want it to be like this. And the world that I live in, the church world, church world is exactly like this. We, we, we sang an old song this morning. And then, because I just wish that we would sing all the old hymns. Do you know that the scripture says, sing a new song? Did you know that? It's a verse in the Bible. So what are we going to do for every subsequent generation? Are we going to make them sing songs from another decade? I just wish... I wish... Like, the real, the real songs. The real songs of the church are from this decade. Really? They're from that decade, the decade you grew up in, please. Those are the real songs of the church. These songs today, I'm just telling you, these songs today, they just don't have any substance. And here's a famous one that I've heard that I'll argue with you with this later. I'm, see, I'm really arguing. All these new songs that they have no anointing on them. 
See, that makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> just saying that. Because let me tell you, you know what that is? That's just arrogance. It's arrogance. That the songs when I was a kid, those were the real. And then, you know, these kids, they don't blah, 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 and this and the. Man, we want every generation to write songs about Jesus. We don't want to hand them a church and say that you have to sing these songs and you have to decorate your stage like this and you got to do this and you got to wear these clothes because these clothes were what we used to wear in the decade that I grew up in. And then we're just grieving for Saul. I'm telling you, we're just grieving for Saul. Something that's just over. The gospel is never going to be over. The love of God is never going to be over. The salvation of Jesus is never going to be over. It is going to last from generations and generations and generations and generations. But there's going to be stuff that happens in our lives that is just going to be a new season. Do you embrace a new season? Are you excited about a new season? See, this is being excited about a new season is better than grieving for the past. Sitting around just wishing and wanting. No, I'm telling you, there is an exciting future in God. An exciting future of God. A great and wonderful daily living with God, a relationship with God that moves you forward. Not keeps you wishing for the past. Longing for the past. God says, how long will you grieve for the past? We're not going to get stuck in the past. We're going to move forward with God. We're going to press towards the high mark, the calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're not going to wish and long for days gone by. They're all gone. And none of that means that we disrespect old people. That's not what I'm talking about. We need every generation in this church. We need young and the old, don't we? We need everybody here. A month of stuff. It's just, it's all coming out. The Lord said to Samuel, how long... Will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Do we see a type of Christ there at all? Do you remember where Jesus was born? Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. So there's a little bit of a hint that Saul has gone bad, right? If I go to look for a new, you know, we're going to go look to anoint the next king. Um, and then Saul is in such a place, he's just going to kill the prophet of God. And the Lord said, take a heifer and say, with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me with... For me, whom I declare to you. So the strategy is take a sacrifice so Saul doesn't uh, suspect anything going on. Take a sacrifice and then you'll be able to do the sacrifice with Jesse. And then when you get with Jesse, I'm going to show you the next king from one of his sons. They came, uh, verse 6. So 
this, this, this part of the scripture, this is almost like, like a Mr. Israel competition. That Jesse has a bunch of sons and they're going to walk up. And they're going to be like, hey. And Samuel's going to be like, no, no, keep walking. You're, you're not the next king. Keep going. Sorry. Nice try. And so this is kind of what's happening in the scripture here. Uh, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. This is great advice for us. Living in 2016, looking at the heart of people, that the soul of a person is so important to God, needs to be important to us, not somebody's external. We don't judge somebody by their external, that, they're, that they are an image bearer of God. So we don't just look on the external, we look at the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Now, let me just mention here that the Lord has not chosen these to be king. So all of these sons, not that these people were useless because they weren't kings. Do you understand this? That they, all of these young men that walked before Samuel, God hadn't anointed them to be king, but God had called them to do other things. That all of you may or may not be a president or a boss or a premier or a prime minister one day. But that doesn't mean you're not anointed for something. That means God's hand on you to do something. That God, that David served the purposes of God in his generation. You may not be a pastor. You may not be a prophet. You may not be a president or a prime minister or all these titles that in one sense are irrelevant. But God has his hand on you for something. For something important. For something big. We may never hear about it on the news, but it's going to be big. Because it's the thing you're called to do. It is the purpose of your life. We may never hear it about it on the news. We may never know about it. We may never see your face. On the ticker. Maybe we don't want to see your face on the ticker. Um, we, we may never know about you. But what God has his hand on you for is big. Because that's what God is calling you to do. The purposes of God for this generation. Verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He's kind of like, uh, that's, you know, none of these guys made the cut for king. There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse... Send and get him, for, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. So somehow there was a woman editing along the scripture here. Uh, now, he was, now he was ruddy. <laughs> and was handsome. And the Lord, that's a detail a woman would put in. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. 
For this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Barbara, wherever you are, you can come on up and start playing. So here we have, even though Saul is still in place as king, David's not going to be king yet for a long, long time. But here, this, this oil, this, uh, this horn of oil, which is just representative of the Spirit of God, it isn't actually the Spirit of God. I mean, we could pour oil on you all day and it doesn't mean anything. It's just a representation of the Spirit of God. It isn't actually the Spirit of God. It just, what oil does is it covers you. And that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God covers you for service. So here, God is showing that he has already chosen David to be king. The Spirit of God rushed on him from that moment. Now, he wasn't going to serve as king for a while. God was revealing his potential. And this is what the call of God is like. It's showing you, it's, and when you think about a call, I mean, just as if somebody calls you, there you are. <clears throat> somebody calls you and you don't like send their call to voicemail, which is most of the time for me. Um, if somebody calls you, God, the scripture is talking about here, God is calling us. And if God is calling us, we should pick up the phone. We should answer the call of God. What does the call of God look like? Now, as we said, all of Jesse's sons were not called to be king, but they're called to something. Just David happened to be the one anointed for kingship. But God has called all of us. And he's called all of us for different things. I mean, you know, I I would say, I mean, a call of God on my life to be a pastor. Uh, The most important call, I think, that my wife and I have is to be parents. I have a call to be a husband to my wife. You know, all these different things, all these different capacities that we function as human beings. That God places us. And then he gifts us. He gives us gifts to do something in that capacity. Do you know that you are a gift to your workplace? Now, that doesn't automatically mean you're going to get a raise. So don't walk into your body. Hey, I just want you to know I'm a gift to you. Um, that might not work and get you a raise. But you are a gift to your workplace. Whatever God has put on the inside of you. What you can uniquely bring to that workplace. You know, God wants to use you there to serve his purpose in this generation. You could do some amazing things with your business. If you realize that you are anointed to be in business. That God has graced you for your business. He's given you gifts and talents. And I know you went to university and I know that you honed those skills. But the only reason you could hone those skills is God gave you those skills. He's graced you. He's gifted you. He has this big call for you to accomplish something in this generation. Parents. God has gifted you and anointed you. And has given you gifts of children. To raise up those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
It's a responsibility. It's a gift. It's a calling. And I could just go down the line with all of the areas of life that we serve in. Let's not shirk our calling in any of these areas. Let's not give up and say, I'm going to stop and I'm going to wish for the past. No. God has called you. He has anointed you. He is calling you. We should answer the call. And then the way for us to walk this out, which is not a big thing, and it's not really often celebrated, it's faithfulness. Faithfulness. Not giving up. In it for the long haul. Here, David's anointed to be king. But he's not king for a long time, about 15, 16 years. Long time. But he's got this gift. He's got the potential. Yeah, yeah. Don't get in a rush. Be faithful. Faithfulness is not celebrated as much as it should be. Just being there, being around, being constant. The people can call on you and you'll show up. That you can be a loyal friend, that you can be a loyal spouse. That I'm there for you, I'm there for my kids. Just being faithful. It's a tremendous companion for a gift. See, a gift will only take you so far, but you have to join that gift to faithfulness for it to be value in the long run, to be, for it to be valuable and to, have, to let it have impact, the impact that God wants it to have in this generation. How's it going to happen? You're, you're gifted and you're called, but you're going to have to partner that with faithfulness last verse and we're done a faithful man will abound with blessings not just the gifted man because you're all gifted not just the gifted women because you're all gifted what do we join with that gift that helps us to abound in blessings faithfulness let's just pray this morning Heavenly Father we thank you thanks for listening If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.